Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When the enemy brings trouble into your life, it's pretty good evidence that you're trying to walk with the Lord. There's an old saying that goes something like this. There are only two things that are for sure, death and taxes. Well, there may be some other things you can trust will happen as well. Trouble is temporary, but influence can be eternal. You can have an eternal impact on the people that God has brought into your circle of influence. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. We're right in the middle of our series entitled Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And last week, Pastor Clay started into the story of Daniel and the lion's den found in Daniel chapter 6. As we heard last week, we can trust that trouble is going to come into our lives. Now, part of it is incidental and part of it is intentional. But trouble will come. Can I get a hearty amen? If you were with us for that message, you may remember that Pastor Clay gave us two very important reasons why we can't give up when trouble comes our way. God's glory is more important than the comfort of our lives. And the second reason we can't quit, I said mankind's eternal destiny is more important than our temporary circumstances. Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to remind us of a couple of more things that we can trust that will happen like they did in Daniel's life if we choose to walk with God. This is Mother's Day Sunday, and we want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all moms out there. And Pastor Clay has a special application of this message for moms. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Have you guys ever done anything? Have you ever done anything that um, as soon as you did it and... (laughs) Maybe even before you did it, you thought, this was probably not a very good idea. This was, you know, we've all seen the, we've all seen the redneck videos, right? You know, uh, famous last words of a redneck, hey guys, watch this, you know, right? And you see those things and you're, and you're like, what were they thinking that they would try that? Y'all ever done anything that you just thought, no, oh, this probably wasn't a really good idea. This was probably going to be trouble. Probably going to lead to trouble. Um, recently, uh, I did something that got, got me in a little bit of trouble with my wife. Um, and I, it's, it, this, is about a week, this may have been a week or two ago. Uh, but we had gone over uh, to uh, Nate and Kimberly Jones' home to borrow some chairs. He had some chairs for an event, a shower for Lauren that uh, Cindy and Lauren's family was hosting the next day, or having it in our home, and so we needed some chairs, and so we went to borrow some of their chairs, and uh, my, I don't remember if I realized it while we were there, before we got there, or right after we left, but my wife had the hiccups, and it, it dawned on me that she had the hiccups. I know I was uh, aware of it by the time we left there. We drove out of the driveway, um, and we're heading back home getting on 540. I know that I was aware that she had the hiccups at that point. And this thought entered my mind that I really don't think had ever entered my mind before. Um, I mean, I knew this, but the thought of doing it had never really entered my mind. But I'd always heard that if somebody has the hiccups, if you scare them suddenly, um, that will cause them to get rid of the hiccups. Anybody ever, ever heard that? That if you scare somebody, you can scare the hiccups out of them? See? I am not the only nitwit here. I had, I had heard that, if you scare. But, and I'd heard that, but I had never thought of doing it. But 
it just came into my mind as we were driving. I was, I was driving and I thought, if you scare her, suddenly uh, you'll, you'll get rid of the hiccups and she'll be so grateful that you did that for her. And so, so we're driving along. And I, I just suddenly, I don't, I don't think I let go of the steering wheel. I think I still hold on to the steering wheel. But I just kind of lunged towards her and I went, ah! Like that. She freaked. I mean, freaked. I mean, you know, I was still, my scream was still coming out and already she was, ah! Screaming. Screaming. <laughs> and so, you know, instantaneous, I thought, well, I scared her. That worked. That was good. Um, and she struck me. I just want to go on record that she, that she struck me, hit me, and, and she says, what is wrong with you? Have any of you wives ever said that to your husband? Yeah. What is wrong with you? This is the next words out of my mouth, wife's mouth. Did you need a sermon illustration or something? I hadn't even thought of using it for that until then. By the way, I want to go on record as saying it does not work. She still had the hiccups, and if it were possible for somebody for, for the hiccups to be scared out of somebody, it would have worked because I assure you, she was totally freaked when I when I did that because I, I just don't do that kind of stuff. But I should have known that there was going to be trouble. Oh, yeah, by the way, sure enough, that night, in bed, we're laying there, and all of a sudden, ah! she jumps at me. I didn't, I didn't even flinch or anything. <laughs> I think I did a little. I think I did a little. I don't know. What did I say? I have no memory of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she said, I said, I've been waiting for it. I knew that was coming. That's where we left off last week with the idea of trouble. If you were here... Uh, you may remember we talked a lot last week about trouble, trouble coming into our lives. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 6. If you have a copy of God's Word, uh, please open there uh, this morning. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. Uh, last week, I, I read uh, the entire text that we were dealing with, I believe verses 11 uh, through 28. Uh, I'm not going to read it all at the beginning uh, today for time's sake. Uh, but I'm just going to read the text as we go through it. Uh, but we did talk about trouble uh, last week. And what we're talking about were things that you can, you can trust, that, that we see in the life of Daniel, particularly in Daniel chapter 6, things that you can trust that, that will just happen or just be a part of your life, that, that when you walk with God, this is what you can, you can do. And the first thing that we said last week, and we talked so much about it, and the only thing really that we dealt with, was you can trust that trouble will come into your life. And uh, I've had, had a couple people during the week just say how much that they appreciated that message and just was in, really in some sense was an encouragement to them, although it doesn't sound like it. Uh, but the fact is that there will be trouble in our lives. And if you happen to be here, uh, you may remember that I said that there are two types of trouble that are going to come into your life. And I said that there's incidental trouble, the trouble that just comes into your life just because you just live in this world, it's going to happen. And there's intentional trouble. There's trouble that comes into your life if you have decided that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to walk with Him, you can just understand. Besides the incidental stuff that's just a part of living in this world, you can understand that you have an enemy, a real spiritual enemy, 
who does not desire to see God glorified or to see you have victory in your life. And so trouble will come into your life. By the way, I, I didn't have time for it yesterday, uh, last week. And just kind of went over. Can I just give you a great uh, Richard Baxter quote uh, dealing with the idea of, of when intentional trouble comes in, into our life? Uh, Richard Baxter, who was a, a, a Puritan pastor years ago, he said this. He said, God's people should be more concerned that they deserved the persecution, the, the intentional trouble that comes to you for following Jesus. They should be more concerned that they deserved the persecution than that they be delivered from it. Because deserving it, I like this, would be evidence of their faithfulness to the Lord. In other words, the very fact that trouble comes into your life, that, that when the enemy brings trouble into your life, it's a pretty good evidence that you're trying to walk with Christ, that you're trying to honor the Lord with your life. And so, even though we all would desire to be delivered from it, uh, that what's more important is that we recognize, hey, hey, I, I must be doing something right because the enemy is coming hard at me. And I may not like it, but if you were here last week, I gave you two reasons why we can't quit. No matter what, no matter how much we feel like quitting, how much we want to throw in the towel, there were two reasons that I gave you that we, we, we just... Uh, can't quit. And, and the first one ha- essentially said that, that God's glory is more important than our comfort. It, it, it just is. That, that in the end, that it's about glorifying God and that uh, the truth is he just, it is in, the, in those hard times of our lives that, that, that God, that more glory is, is on display uh, because God is able to work in our lives. And I'll talk about that some next week. He'll, he's just able to, to show up and be there. And, and it demonstrates who he is as God. And, and, and he's able to glorify. And that's more important than, than even uh, the, the, the comfort of, of our lives. And the second uh, reason we can't quit. I said mankind's eternal destiny is more important than our temporary uh, circumstances. And we went through a lot of verses. And, and I just encourage you go back and listen to that message. Uh, you can you can go straight to iTunes and uh, get sign up for the podcast, have it sent to your straight to your phone every week or whatever the case. Is. You can go online, you can go to our website, watch it, whatever the case may be. You want to go back and just look at that having to do with trouble. You can trust that trouble will come. Is is it, can I get a hearty amen? Is there anybody in here that has ever experienced trouble in their life? Okay, all right, that pretty much uh, seals it all, right? So we know trouble is there. We can trust that trouble will be there. What are we going to talk about today? Well, really, we're, going to, we're just going to talk about one thing. Uh, I didn't tell anybody this, but we're really just going to get to one more idea today. And uh, the reason is because it's Mother's Day, and all of you want to beat the Methodist to the restaurant, and, uh, and you know how those weights are going to be and that kind of stuff. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to get out, out of here. Um, we're going to get out of here on time today. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're really going to try to get out of here on, on time. Maybe even a little before time. We're going to talk about one thing. Here, here's the second idea from Daniel 6 on what you can trust uh, in, in, in your life as, as a follower of God. You can trust that influence will occur. Oh, listen, I didn't read the verses uh, about the trouble, uh, but I will read those uh, now along with 14 through uh, 19. So let me, let me start it in, uh, in verse 11. Um, just if you're not familiar, if you weren't here last week, if you're not familiar with the story, um, the other rulers in, in the Medo-Persian Empire who worked with Daniel, they've become jealous of Daniel and his position, and he's about to be promoted to ride up under the king, and they don't like that, and so they set a trap for him um, by getting the king to sign a, a decree, an injunction, saying that no, no other person or God could be worshipped. For the next 30 days, no other God, no other person could be worshipped except the king himself, Darius. 
And if, and if anybody else was, that, that was it for them. They're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Um, they set that trap up because they knew that's the only way they were ever going to catch Daniel because of the consistency of his faith. So in verse 11, it said, Then these men uh, by agreement, uh, came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they entered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. He pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. That's that, that's that idea that the trouble's just going to come, incidental and intentional. It's coming into your life. These guys, Daniel hadn't done a thing to them. As a matter of fact, Daniel had saved those guys' lives at least a couple of times throughout the course of his life in ministry, but uh, they came against him because trouble comes. Now, this idea that you can trust that influence will occur. Watch what happened. We're picking up in verse uh, 14. Remember, they've just come in. They just said, hey, king, hey, king, Daniel. Mm-mm. No, he's not. He's praying to his God, just like he was doing. Verse 14, then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. In other words, they're, basically they're saying, King, you're dragging your feet on this. You sign this thing. Time to do something. Verse 16, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night, watch this, fasting. No entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. And then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. Listen, folks, you can trust that influence will occur. I, I think it's, it's interesting, and I know some of you haven't been with us throughout this study, but, but perhaps you've read the book of Daniel before. But I, I think it's interesting that in chapter 5, uh, Belshazzar, the guy who was the king at that point, he, he doesn't even seem to know Daniel at all. Even though Daniel has been there, Belshazzar's whole life. He doesn't seem to act like he even knows who uh, Daniel is. And yet in chapter 6, when Darius is on the throne, he acts like him and Daniel are best buds. Like, like they've just known each other for, for years. It, it, is that, it is that influence that occurs when we invest in some other person's life and the difference that it can make in their life. Can, can I just stop here and say to you that if you uh, happen to have the, the privilege and the opportunity 
to be around or be a part of someone's life who perhaps is a little more spiritually mature than you. Not that you aren't or that they're, you know, holier than thou or anything, but perhaps they've walked with Jesus longer. Maybe they've just done, maybe they've experienced more of this, whatever. You have the opportunity to be around a person like that. You come across a person like that that is willing to and desires to invest in your life. Can I say this to you? Do not miss, ladies and gentlemen, do not miss that opportunity. Do not miss the opportunity to to have some man or some woman invest in you who has walked maybe a little farther with Jesus than you and can teach you and can, can, can infuse wisdom into you about what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. It is a remarkably valuable thing. By the way, can I just throw this out there? That's part of what our life group leaders do week in and week out. They pour into the life of, of their life group attenders. They, they, they prepare, they study, they learn themselves, and then, they, and then they try to teach us what the truths are from God's Word, or the study that they're doing, or whatever the case may be. And I hope that your life group leader knows how much you appreciate the investment that they make into you. And I hope, I pray, that, that every single one of you are, are taking advantage of the opportunity to be invested in even through life groups. In my life, I had guys like um, Rick Sizemore and Paul Tyree and Hinton Harris. Now, Rick was the first guy, uh, after I surrendered my life to Jesus, I was a grown, I was a young man, we were, Cindy and I were married. After I came to Christ, Rick was really the, the first guy that uh, kind of took me up under his wing and for the first time showed me that being a follower of Jesus was kind of cool. That, that, that following Christ was, was fun and it was exciting. Yeah, it's hard stuff, we know all that, but, but that it, it was actually fun. He was the first person. This, I'm telling you, this was a totally new revelation to me. And I had grown up going to church as a kid and all this kind of stuff, but somehow I missed this. Uh, I must have been texting or something during the sermon, but uh, th- this was, this, not that anybody would ever do that. Okay. Um, but th- he was the first person that, that taught me that following Jesus, listen, this is, this is really good. Uh, I won't even charge you for this. The, he, he was the first person that taught me that following Jesus wasn't a part of my life. He taught me that following Jesus was my life. And I, I had never understood that before. Before, it, you know, it was just, okay, it was church and all that Jesus stuff. And it was school and it was uh, home life and it was the work that I had to do. And it, it, was, it was all this, you know, compartmentalized stuff. And, and Jesus and, and church and all that was one of the compartments. And Rick helped me understand that, no, no, it's not one of the compartments. It, it, it is your life. Paul uh, Tyree was the, was the first guy that gave me a, a shot at, at part-time ministry. When I, and I, mean, I had no idea at that time that I would eventually be a pastor and all that kind of stuff. That's part of the influence he had on my life. He, 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 he brought me on staff of his church while I was still working for the Postal Service. But he, he let me invest in, in students' lives and, and be a student minister to them and and he taught me how to, how to do ministry, and, and he taught me things to look out for and, and what to do. And, and he brought me to this, to this understanding of God's call in my life to pastor. And Hinton, Hinton was an older gentleman. He was, the, he was the first pastor I served under in a full-time capacity as minister of youth and education. While I was going to college in Atlanta, going to a small little Bible college down there. And Hinton let me go to school full-time and paid me enough salary to, to support my family. But even more important than that, 
uh, I'm telling you, from the very first week, and I don't know, this has always been, uh, for better or worse, just been a characteristic of me since I came to Christ and I began to grow. Um, I, I have a deep and abiding passion to communicate the Word of God uh, to people. It just, I just, I've never gotten over that. I just want to do is what I want to spend my life doing. And Hinton recognized that in, in, my, in my life. In the very first week, uh, he told me, he said, Clay, Sunday nights are yours. You preach every Sunday night. Now, I don't know what the people at Emmanuel Baptist Church thought about that. Because um, can I tell you, I didn't know diddly about preaching. I, I didn't know homiletics from hermeneutics. I didn't know how to uh, exegete a text or, or construct a sermon. And I, I, didn't know, I, I didn't know nothing. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but, but he invested in my life and he influenced me. Enormously, as all those guys do. If you have the opportunity uh, for someone to come alongside you and invest in your life, do it. It's unclear uh, from the text. Uh, Historically, you can figure out a few things. It hadn't been very long, but it's really unclear exactly how long Daniel and Darius have known each other. But what is clear is that it's been long enough for Daniel to influence this guy. Look at at some of the the words. Look, Look at verse 14. Verse 14, he's deeply This is the king now. He's deeply distressed. Verse 14 again. He's exerting himself to rescue. Exerting the, the, it's a Hebrew verb. It basically means to struggle. uh, Almost to fight. He's he's exerting. He's struggling. He's fighting to save Daniel. Look at verse 16. And I I know, I I don't know that I read it that way. But if you get the context of the passage, you can tell that it's almost... In, in anxiety, it's almost, you can almost hear the anxiousness in Darius's voice as he says, uh, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. I got to put you in here. If, if I don't, I can't be king anymore. I got to put you in here. But I know that God who you serve all the time, he's going he's gonna to rescue you. By the way, if I were Daniel at this point, if I, I'm not, if I were Daniel, I might be tempted to be a little bit of a smart aleck at this point and say something to the effect of, oh, Oh, you mean that God that your stupid injunction won't let me pray to or worship that God? But Daniel is much more godly man than I am, and so he would have never said anything like that. But what is clear is that Daniel has said plenty, Daniel has done plenty to have an enormous influence on this guy's life. Remember, this is Darius, the the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire. He is the most powerful person on the earth. At that time, I mean, he has anything and everything he he speaks and it's done all this kind of and and Daniel is just an old man from a conquered people of a conquered people. Why should he? Why would he give a rip about Daniel at all? Except that Daniel has had an influence in his life. See, here's the deal. Daniel may have been old and Daniel may have been from a conquered people but that didn't mean that Daniel couldn't have an influence in somebody's life and in this case in Darius's life you can trust that influence will occur when you live your life to honor God and seek his will and way for your life you can trust even though i know i know i know i don't think i'm making any difference at all I, those people at work they're the worst heathens I believe there's a special place in hell reserved just for my office. That, that it's, you know, I, I just, you know, my kids, they, I talk about Jesus and, and they, you know what I'm saying? I know there are times when we think, man, I'm making no difference at all. Can I tell you? Can I, can I be transparent as a pastor? I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. 
Am I making any difference at all? I want to read y'all. It's Mother's Day, right? Y'all moms, give it up for the moms in here again. Come on. Y'all moms, you're awesome. You're awesome. I, I, got, I got to read you something because you, you probably wouldn't believe it if, if I didn't read it to you. And some of you know, maybe know a little bit about her. But we talk about influence. Can I, can I just tell you a little bit about a woman named Susanna Wesley? Now, Susanna Wesley was, um, she probably is a favorite topic on Mother's Day. Probably lots of preachers use her. Uh, I may have in the past, I'm not sure. But Susanna Wesley was among others, and I'll explain in a minute. She was the mother of Charles and John Wesley. Uh, That's why she's sometimes referred to as the mother of Methodism, because John and Charles Wesley formed uh, what came, what we know today as the Methodist uh, denomination. Those people y'all are going to beat to the restaurant today. Um, uh, uh, Charles, Charles, in some sense, Charles was the more famous because he was a hymn writer, wrote hundreds and hundreds of hymns that are still in hymn books today, many songs that you would know. Uh, John was the more famous preacher of the day. They both preached. Uh, Charles wrote hymns. John was preacher. Listen, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands came to Christ as a result of Charles and John Wesley's uh, ministry. Listen a little bit about their mom. No, I didn't know this. I I learned this uh, this week. Susanna Wesley was the 25th of 25 children. <laughs> I can't, I don't, I, I don't even know what to say after that. She was the 25th of 25 children, all right? She married Samuel Wesley on the 11th of November, 1688. Samuel was 26 and she was 19. Now listen, you want to talk about a life of trouble and trials? Susanna and Samuel Wesley had 19 children. Nine of her children died as infants. Can you imagine burying nine? In all, she buried 11 of her children, only eight of her children alive when she died. Four of the children who died were twins. A maid accidentally smothered one of the children. Susanna experienced many hardships throughout her life. Listen to this. Her husband, who was a pastor... So, her husband left her and the children for over a year because of, it doesn't even say what it is, because of some minor dispute. Sorry, pastors. Left her and her children for over a year because of a minor dispute. To her absent husband, Susanna Wesley wrote, I'm going to read you a little excerpt from a letter that she wrote. I am a woman, but I am also the mistress or the, or the head of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul that you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. Single moms, can you just keep that in mind, single moms? For whatever reason that you find yourself as a single mom in this life and in this world, thanks for picking up the responsibility that maybe some dad didn't. I am not a man. She's still, this is still her letter. I'm not a man nor a minister. Yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. And I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observed the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night to discourse with each child apart separately. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday with Jackie, Friday with Patty, Saturday with Charles. Uh, Listen to this. Samuel Wesley, her husband, 
spent time in jail twice due to his poor financial abilities and the lack of money was a continual struggle for Susanna. Their house was burned down twice. During one of the fires, her son John nearly died and had to be rescued from the second story window. And she was the primary source of her children's education. After the second fire, listen, can you imagine having to do this? After the second fire, Susanna was forced to place her children into different homes for nearly two years while the parsonage was rebuilt. During this time, the Wesley children lived under the rules of the homes they lived in. Susanna, <laughs> Susanna was mortified that her children began to use improper speech and play more than study. <laughs> Listen, under no circumstances were the children to permit it to have any lessons until they reached their fifth year. No schooling, no pre-pre-preschool, no, uh, you know... Videos you plug in or nothing. For her, under no circumstances were the children permitted to have any lessons until they had reached their fifth year. But the day after their fifth birthday, their formal education began. That's probably where that saying, the party's over, came from. (laughs) They attended classes for six hours. And on the very first day, the very first day, so they're five years and one day old. The very first day, they were supposed to learn the whole of the alphabet. And all of her children except two managed this feat. And these seemed to Susanna to be very backward. (laughs) The children uh, received a good education, sons and daughters. They all learned Latin and Greek and were well tutored in the classical studies that were traditional in England at the time. During a time when her husband was in London defending a friend against charges of heresy, he appointed a... a a local member just of his church, somebody of his church, to bring the messages while he was away. The man's sermons revolved solely around repaying debts. So every sermon, every week, was about paying your debts. So a bunch of people in the church must have owed him money because every week he was preaching sermons on repaying debts. Listen to what what she, she did. The lack of diverse spiritual teaching caused Susanna to assemble her children Sunday afternoon for family services. They would sing a psalm, And then Susanna would read a sermon from either her husband's or her father's sermon file, followed by another psalm. The local people began to ask if they could attend. And at one point, there were over 200 people who would attend Susanna's Sunday afternoon service, while the Sunday morning service dwindled to nearly nothing. Her husband, Samuel, spent his whole life and all of the family's finances on his exegetical work of the book of Job. In other words, he produced a commentary basically on the book of Job. However, his work was not remembered, and he had little impact on his family other than as a hardship. In contrast, Susanna wrote several pieces that would be fundamental in the education of their children. In addition to letters, Susanna wrote meditations and scriptural commentaries for her own use. She wrote extended commentaries on the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. So much trouble. So much pain. So much loss, so much influence, so much influence. By the way, that's one of the great things about trouble. Not that trouble is great, it certainly is not, but it's that the fact that trouble in our lives presents for, its, for us opportunities to influence others. Even through the trouble we experience, it gives us the opportunity to influence others. And ladies and gentlemen, that's great. That's great. 
whether it's your children, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's your coworkers, no matter who it is, the opportunity to influence people is a tremendous, tremendous responsibility and opportunity. It's great. And just, just remember this, just a little statement just for you to remember about trouble is temporary, but influence can be eternal, ladies and gentlemen. You can have an eternal impact on the people that God has brought into your circle of influence. It might be your children. It might be your coworkers. It might be your neighbors. It might be somebody you can't stand, but they're part of your life. They're in that circle. It's the opportunity to influence others. And you can trust. And as I said, I know there are times when we think, I, I, don't, I don't see what difference I'm making. I, just nothing seems to change. The truth is, it does. If you're here, this is your day. This, this applies for all of us, but, but moms, particularly you, can I just say this? If you're here, you're a mom, maybe you've raised your children. You may still have some influence in their life, not the same as when they're a child, but maybe you've already raised children, and maybe at, at, at things haven't always turned out the way you thought, or maybe your children didn't accomplish all you thought they would do, or, or maybe you're wondering whether you really influenced them at all. Can I say to you, you did. Certainly they may have had other influences in their life, but you did. And, and if, you're, if your children are still at home, can I say to you moms... Nobody has, can nurture and, and, and caress and love those children like you can as a mom. Not, not that dads don't do that, but there is something about a mother's love and nurturing that you, you just can't put a price on. It's the opportunity to influence your children to make a difference in other people's lives. You can trust, you can trust that influence will occur. How good it is to know that God will be there. Trouble is a part of our lives. And knowing that God is with us in the ways that Pastor Clay explained today is a source of comfort and confidence. You may be going through a particularly hard time right now in your life, but if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and are seeking His will for your life, you don't have to walk through the trouble alone. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, why not do so right now? We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.